Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From Nola Pizza in the Nola Brewing Tap Room on Chapatula Street in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Rusciutti, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Rusciutti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. In 2020, when the COVID-19 pandemic created a lockdown that closed almost every business in America, the federal government wrote checks to individuals and businesses in the amount of $2 trillion. Here on Out to Lunch, we tried to make sense of what was going on with this economic stimulus by talking to a member of the Federal Reserve, the central bank that gave the $2 trillion to the government. In that conversation, she explained that there's not actually a room with $2 trillion in it. In fact, uh, the money was basically a digital file that the central bank sent to the government. Now, imagine that digital file is not centralized on one computer in one place in Washington, D.C. It's spread out over thousands of computers around the world. And imagine that it's not the property of the federal government, but that it's available in some way so that it can be accessed uh, or mined and then traded by individuals. This decentralized series of digital ledgers is called blockchain. And very broadly, this is the concept behind cryptocurrency. The most popular cryptocurrency is Bitcoin. There are another estimated 5,000 cryptocurrencies in existence. Many of them are currently worthless, but others like Ethereum, Dogecoin, and Polkadot are being taken increasingly more seriously as currency that's used in regular commerce. This gradual shift that is seeing cryptocurrency creep its way out of the shadows and into everyday use means that if you have a business you now have to think about what happens when someone wants to pay you in cryptocurrency. How does that even work? And if you do accept cryptocurrency, what happens then? Can you pay the rent, the light bill, and other vendors with it? The answer to those questions is now yes, thanks to a New Orleans-based software company called Gilded. Gilded is designed to integrate digital currencies into a company's existing accounting processes. They call themselves your blockchain back office solution. And the CEO of Gilded is Gil Hildebrand. Gil, welcome down to lunch. Well, thank you for having me here today. Looking forward to it. According to Coinbase, which is the most popular online place to buy Bitcoin and some other cryptocurrencies, about 11% of Americans own some amount of Bitcoin. If you're one of the 89% of people who doesn't own any Bitcoin, you might be wondering how you can get into the Bitcoin market. If you're not a wonky finance person, a day trader, someone who gets to spend an inordinate amount of time online researching cryptocurrency, there's now a way for you to get into the crypto world too. In Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, and Texas, you can find kiosks that look like ATM machines where you can buy and sell Bitcoin. These crypto ATM machines are a product of a company called Pelicoin. Pelicoin was founded in 2016 by brothers Brown and Will Haney. Will is the company's CEO and he's sitting across the lunch table from me. Will Haney, welcome out to lunch. It's great to be here. Gil, there are now a number of big businesses that accept payment in Bitcoin, including Microsoft, PayPal, Home Depot, Whole Foods, and, and you can even use Bitcoin at Starbucks if you use the Starbucks app. 
What I understand is happening is that these companies are integrating cryptocurrency into their transactions because of a demand from their customers. The longer this trend continues, the more customers are going to expect to be able to use crypto in other places. If you have a business that isn't equipped to accept crypto, you are going to lose out on some customers. What you're offering with your software, Gilded, is an easy, seamless way for a business to get to a place that accepts crypto. But you're even going one step further now. Your latest development is called MassPay. It allows employers to pay employees with cryptocurrency. So let's start there. What kind of demand is there for employees to be paid in crypto? And what is the advantage of being paid in crypto for an employee or their employer? Great question. So the demand comes from the employees, not the employer typically. But what we see is that the employer contacts us and says, hey, we see an opportunity to create uh, a better retention, to be able to create a splash from a marketing perspective, and to, uh, to stand out as, as an employer who sees you know, technology and the future of work. And so uh, we really see two different use cases from employees. One of those use cases is when there is uh, an international employee or a contractor who simply sees this as a faster and cheaper way to get paid. When, uh, when that person receives a wire transfer, it may take as little as two days, it may take a week or longer for them to get paid. And typically, uh, we would only see, you know, if we're sending a wire transfer that, hey, maybe my bank charged me a $20 fee, but on the receiving side, with currency conversion and everything else involved, it's actually, it can be quite expensive. And most importantly, there's no transparency into the process. So you, as the person receiving a wire transfer, really have no idea that it was sent or, or when it will be received. So for those individuals, what they're interested in is a solution where they can see, receive something that's equivalent to US dollars, but uh, that comes you know, on rails that are much faster. Uh, in addition to that, you know, they may want to receive U.S. dollars or the equivalent of that because their local currency maybe isn't as strong as a U.S. dollar. We see this a lot uh, with com co uh, countries like Argentina where you know, their currency is increasingly being devalued. And so they would like to receive U.S. dollars. It's difficult with their bank, and this is a, a new way to get paid. Well, I can see that. I can see if you were, you know, were abroad, particularly in a in a country where the currency is running up and down, I think like Venezuela would probably be another one there. Now, Will, when I put $100 in a bank ATM, I'm putting it there because it's safer than my wallet. Now, I know the bank is going to hold on to it till I need it, and if anything bad should happen to the bank, the government in the form of the FDIC guarantees I'll still get my $100 back. Cryptocurrency exists in what's called a digital wallet. There are already legendary stories about people who have forgotten their passwords to get into their digital wallets and have lost millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin. So what is the chain of events after I put $100 into a Pelicoin crypto ATM? Where does the $100 go and how do I access it? So the short answer is that the Bitcoin goes to your wallet. Um, there's a few different options on how to receive the Bitcoin from our kiosk. Uh, the vast majority of our customers will scan the QR code of their Bitcoin wallet address. Typically, that's right off their phone screen. The machine will read that and, and, and deposit the Bitcoin directly into their wallet. Uh, and from there, it's, it's, it's just like withdrawing cash out of a traditional ATM. I mean, you know, once you have that cash and you walk away from the machine, it's yours. And 
you know, if, if you lose it, just like someone losing the private key to their Bitcoin, it's, it's gone. So, I mean, I think there are some, some, some hard lessons to be learned. People out there who, who do lose the private key to a, a five-year-old Bitcoin wallet that has millions of dollars of Bitcoin in it. But, uh, it's pretty you, rare, yeah, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> exceedingly. But, but if, you, if, yeah, if you're keeping your Bitcoin on your own personal wallet and you're the only one who custodies the private keys for that wallet... The analogy we make, which is a little oversimplified, it's kind of like keep, keeping your cash on your mattress. I mean, if you lose it, it's gone. In, 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 in that regard, there are some people who are casual traders or casual uh, holders of Bitcoin who do prefer to keep it on an exchange because someone else is taking care of it for them. And it's not, it's not keeping your cash on your mattress. And I think eventually they will have FDIC insurance or some equivalent of that to take control or, or to, to protect the, the custody of at least their USD, but also maybe their Bitcoin on that exchange. You know what I was really looking forward to in this show is that we're not talking about, you know, whether or not the price of Bitcoin is going to go up or not, because those those people are zealots, you know, it's um, and that ends in fistfights and all of that. So I didn't want to <laughs> didn't want to do that. These are speculators. Uh, they think they're investors, but they're speculators. But that's not what's driving the businesses for you two guys. It's basically the gradual acceptance of crypto. And um, I think that's going to happen. I've got to ask, um, what happens when uh, you have a transaction? Let's say you, uh, when you, if you bought uh, Bitcoin at one price and sold at a higher price, there is a capital gain. Is there a record of it? That's a great question. So, um, so first of all, Bitcoin is volatile compared to the U.S. dollar, and ultimately, you know, in the United States, we're paying our taxes in, in U.S. dollars. And so anytime you spend Bitcoin or trade it or, or otherwise dispose of it, it creates a taxable event. Now, um, that's similar to how if you bought a house and then later on you sold that house, maybe you got lucky and, and uh, you, know, you, you made another $50,000 on that house. That's taxable. And in the same way, Bitcoin would be taxable. So, And is there, there a record like when I buy and sell a stock, the, the brokerage firm tells me exactly what it is and I have to turn that to the federal government. Is it work that clearly? So that is that is part of what Gilded provides is that kind of record keeping so that ultimately you can turn that return that to your tax professional and they don't need to necessarily know anything about cryptocurrency in order to file your taxes. And and will I the place I've seen uh, one of the uh, ATMs is and I guess there's 35 of them or so now it's a is a was Cafe Luna uh, on Magazine Street. Tell me how you pitch them or anyone else. How do you, you know, you're walking in the door, it's probably a pretty foreign concept to them. What do you say? So, so that was actually the first, uh, first Bitcoin kiosk that we had. And it was also the first one in, in the state of Louisiana. And the first machine we had in Cafe Luna was a little white box with a screen that was running on Raspberry Pi and it had an electromagnetic lock and if the power went out in the cafe it would just become unlocked and anyone could just open oh, wow. the machine and take the cash out of it if they wanted to but <laughs> let's you know, assume you got that kink out of <laughs> we it got that figured out so once we put that machine in there and it was making a little money we we realized hey this is actually this is you know this is a this is going to work so we we um, talked to a guy uh, out in Encinas California named Evan Rose who had developed a back end for Gen Mega, the, the biggest kiosk manufacturer in the world, they had a universal kiosk that you know you could build a back end to sell anything. And he built a back end to sell cryptocurrency. And at the time, I think no one was really paying attention to that. 
Um, but yeah, we went ahead and ordered three of those machines and we put them uh, around here in New Orleans and they, they got moving pretty quickly. And we organically built uh, Pelicoin from those three kiosks to, to, like you said, 35 kiosks. We're in five different states. I think we're covering about 12 markets from Mobile up to Memphis, down to San Antonio and kind of everywhere in between. Well, I imagine you have big plans after that once you've established a, like a, you've planted the flag in these places. So I, that's the tough part. Yeah, yeah, it's it's um it's a it's a it's a model that kind of um it was a flash in the pan, and I think it's still a great model. What we're doing now, we're actually walk, working with a um a, a local fiat, you know, traditional ATM uh, operator who's has a nationwide footprint um, to 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 build a model called processing. That's what the fiat ATM guys call it. Where essentially, you know, all these guys have who've been trying to figure out for years how to get into Bitcoin ATMs, but they don't want to handle Bitcoin. They don't want to work with liquidity providers, armored truck services. It's just a little bit too much. So we're essentially saying, hey, look, if you want to buy these machines from us, we'll operate the machines for you, and you'll make the vast majority of the money. Um, you don't have to handle any anything. We'll handle the cu- you know custody, the all of the operating capital from end to end. You just got to go out and find the location, put the machine down, and, uh, you know, and get it going. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Will Haney from Pelicoin. They own and run cryptocurrency ATM machines across the South. And Gil Hildebrand from Gilded, the company that integrates cryptocurrency into everyday business. And uh, Gil, really kind of a similar question. Uh, You've got a a store, and they're getting enough inquiries about uh, enabling uh, customers to be able to pay with a cryptocurrency you mentioned yourself as being the back office. That that little store, that furniture store or whatever it is, doesn't it knows it wants to do this, but it doesn't have anywhere near the capability. So what do you tell them and what do you step in and do? So if you're a retail business, you know, typically you're you're not in the business of speculating on investment assets. And so if you were to receive Bitcoin, um, you know, the vast majority of businesses aren't necessarily looking to hold Bitcoin. Now, you know, there's even more, you know, implications of holding Bitcoin because now you've got that on your books, it, the, the price can go up or down. And if you sell it later and there's a, an increase in the price, you know, then you've got a tax obligation. And if it goes down, you're, you've, you've uh, then, lost some of your margins, I guess. Yeah, that's true. And, and especially for a furniture store, you've got hard costs. And so typically, uh, what a retail store would be looking to do is, you know, accept Bitcoin and then immediately convert it to dollars that's received in their bank account. And, uh, and that makes sense for retail, especially today. What we're seeing is two different things. One is that uh, within the U.S., we're seeing much more widespread adoption of what's called a stable coin, which is a token that gives you the same benefits as Bitcoin, but... Uh, is tied to the value of a U.S. dollar. And so uh, just today, for example, there was, there was news about uh, MasterCard is now allowing uh, uh, their partners to settle in stablecoins, which is huge news. And so what we're going to see is, hey, you'll actually be able to spend stablecoins and a, you know, a retail business will be able to hold those stablecoins without the volatility. The second part of that is we deal a lot with B2B, Uh, with businesses who are transacting with other businesses. And typically that's not within a geographic area, but globally. And in that case, it really, you know, makes sense that, hey, you might 
you know, be comfortable accepting some of these stable coins and you might be comfortable holding some of them because you know that you have vendors uh, around the world that you can actually use to, uh, you know, to, to transact with on, on the other side. First of all, you mentioned uh, paying your taxes. That would be the that would be nirvana, right? When you could pay your taxes with crypto, that would be the, the final final stage. I, I've got to ask both of you this, though, is to me, it's difficult to get mass acceptance of cryptocurrency when the price keeps moving up and down so much. That just seems like a very difficult way. Do you think the price will stabilize? Because that's sort of what you need to get to the next level. Or will these these 19-year-olds continue to drive the price up and down all day? That is an extremely difficult question to answer. And I think if you look at Bitcoin's track record, uh, I mean, the, the, the short answer is not anytime soon. Um, you know, price discovery is it's 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 a hell of a drug. It's it's something that you know, plenty of people who are who are gamblers who want to get in and, and, and maybe watch something go you know a hundred x or a thousand x in a couple of weeks, they're attracted to cryptocurrency. But I think more of what we're starting to see is institutions and in, in, in kind of mainstream investors who want to part one, three, five percent of their portfolio in crypto or or, or eventually maybe some ETF for crypto. And uh, you know, hopefully, see that grow at the exponential rates it has over the past ten years. And you know, I keep thinking of this transaction: is you know, you turn some cash into crypto, and then uh, the price drops. It has dropped in half at times. Um, and you go to buy a car that's fifty thousand dollars. Well, because the price has dropped in half, that ca- that car is now costing you a hundred thousand dollars in that sense. Uh, um, so what do you think? Do you think it's it, what you had mentioned earlier made a lot of sense? Is it something where uh, businesses and, and individuals are more likely to hold on to it? Or do you think everyone's a speculator in here? So, uh, m- you know, my my opinion on, you know, the volatility and the adoption of it is pretty nuanced. And um, on one hand, it's highly volatile today. Uh, and that's because there isn't a whole lot of volume yet. You know, this is still a new asset class. And as these institutional funds are put, you know, parking more of their portfolio uh, into cryptocurrency, it's going to become less volatile over time. But the volatility is actually a good thing because there are so many opportunities now uh, to basically create new types of financial services that uh, there is a significant amount of funding that is coming into the industry that is pushing it forward. And it's because with that volatility, it creates opportunity. If you talk to any financial investor or trader, they love volatility. That's and right. so yeah. that is actually part of what is creating the adoption. And so will it become less volatile over time? Absolutely. Well, that's, that's, what, you would, uh, that's what you would need. Uh, when you look at the... Um the, the business on your side, the, uh, the, the ATMs and such, um, you, currently do you do just Bitcoin or do you do other? So, so right now, um, we're currently with Pelicoin using uh, or selling Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Litecoin. Um, that would be the majority of the market. I think Bitcoin owns like half the market. So those three would get your yeah, Bitcoin Most. with Pelicoin is, is 97, 98% of our volume, and, and really almost all of the remainder is Litecoin. I think Ethereum is, is uh, you know, people casually use Ethereum. Ether is actually the, the, the token people are buying or selling. The network is Ethereum, and, and people are building a lot of incredible stuff on the Ethereum network. And, and 
personally, I think it, for, for me, it might be my favorite, uh, you know, or, or the most interesting cryptocurrency to me because of, of what all is going on behind the scenes with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, with Pelicoin and, and, and what we do, the vast majority, like I said, 98%, you know, maybe plus is, is, is Bitcoin. Now, is it possible uh, to, that we get a situation where something eclipses Bitcoin? I mean, Dogecoin was started as a joke, so it seems like you might be able to do this. What, what do you think? Well, uh, I was going to ask you if you're aware that Elon Musk now lives in Texas. Uh, and I know you operate in Texas, so, you know, maybe you should consider Dogecoin because, you know, otherwise, uh, I don't see how you're going to get Elon as a customer. <laughs> wow. There's, uh, and every time he tweets, the, the value of that goes up and down. There's, uh, but that would be a great marketing piece if you get like Elon at one of your kiosks <laughs> and that's what Photoshop is about we, we I don't think I would first off I don't want to yuck anyone's yum I mean whatever you perceive to have value uh, you know that's up to you and if and hey guys who got into to, to Dogecoin early and made a ton of money great for them but I think I would say uh, if I were to make an analogy as in the equities market it's kind of like a meme stock it's something that People made a ton of money. I mean, people made millions of dollars off of it, but it doesn't. It, it still doesn't have the the implicit value of a blue chip stock. You know, it's not. It's not like Bitcoin. Dogecoin is is this outsider that has it. It's had a meteoric rise in the past uh, few months, but um, you know, I, we'll we'll see. You know, if it's if it's still if it's still making headlines in twelve months, maybe we'll what add it to our uh, our kiosk and see what happens. And this so. would go to to either of you. Um, you know, one of the discussions about electric cars, for instance, is it hits a tipping point where maybe, I don't know, it's 5% of the fleet, and then all of a sudden you've got electric uh, chargers everywhere. Uh, is it similar with cryptocurrency? Do you think it gets to a certain level where you just can't avoid it any longer? I mean, do you think that's where we're going? Or I, th I think we're there. Uh, and uh, one thing, if you take anything from uh, today's talk, it's that, uh, I would say, it's that cryptocurrency is more than the potential is more than just the currency aspect and uh, in the near future basically everything will be tokenized so not just money but anything of value and what that does is it essentially creates a liquid market where anything can be traded more easily more quickly and for lower fees and so just like the internet democratized access to information where you know, I can share information with someone on the other side of the world, we can you know, have a, a Zoom call and it's just easy and cheap you know, uh, and, and just accessible 24 seven. The same thing is going to be true for financial services for everyone all around the world. And this is such a huge ramification um, that you can't ignore it anymore and, and it's coming. And uh, so, you know, not just currency, but there's this concept of an NFT, which you may have heard about, which is basically a token that represents ownership of something. And why is that important? You know, what's the, what's the key distinction there? Well, if I, you know, take a picture of a dollar bill and send it to you in an email, do you own that dollar bill? No, you don't, because everyone knows that you could just print that out on your computer and you'd have, you know, as many copies as you want to. So no one values that printout. But with an NFT, it cannot be copied. And so this is the first time that something digital cannot be copied. And so it represents ownership. If you're holding that NFT, you own, uh, you have ownership of that asset, just like if you owned a title to a property. Now, imagine if you could take that 
you know, NFT that represents a property and you could, you know, put it online where someone could easily uh, buy it and, you know, you could have buyers all over the world speculating on it. You could also have multiple buyers who, you know, pitch in a percentage and they could all own part of it. And anytime uh, when someone receives, you know, uh, a payment related to that property, it just gets split up between each of the parties. To, to, to dovetail off what Gil, his analogy with emails, I, I really love the, the analogy that um, what email did for snail mail, or really even further out, what, what the internet did for snail mail, I think blockchain is kind of unlocking for, for anything of value. I mean, in, in really just the past three or four years, we've kind of started to see the beginning stages of this, but it's, it's almost like if any value needs to be moved, uh, you know, just down the street, but also across the world, it can be done immediately and infinitely more securely on a blockchain than it can in any other system. And, and, and we're really just starting to see the beginning stages of that. And I think it's, it's, you know, it's really going to you know, explode over the next even you know, 10, 20, 30 years. You might have heard the saying, there are two types of people in the world. Those who believe there are two types of people in the world and everybody else. There are definitely two types of people in the world when it comes to cryptocurrency. Those who think it's a passing fad and those that think it's the future of commerce. Only one of these predictions is going to be right. From what we've learned today, if it's all a fad and it's all going to go away, it's apparently not going away anytime soon. Gil and Will, it's extraordinarily impressive how you've each built a cutting-edge pioneering company in the cryptocurrency world. Congratulations on your achievements to date and we look forward to keeping up with your continued success. Thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thanks for having us. Thank you. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Gil Hildebrand, he's CEO of Gilded, and Will Haney, CEO of Pelicoin. We edited the show to fit into our time slot here on WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Gil and Will's crypto ventures by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris, our technical producer is Eric Merle, and our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business, New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch was recorded live over lunch at the NOLA Brewing Tap Room, 3001 Chapatula Street, open seven days a week. NOLA Brewing Tap Room has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic hand-tossed New York-style city pizza by NOLA Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Jones Walker. Walker.com and by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Out to Lunch is brought to you by Basics Swim and Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie and by the It's New Orleans Happy Hour podcast. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com.